You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. As the national news media keeps telling us, we're in the thick of primary season, even if it seems a long way here in California. But after all, last Friday was the deadline for candidates looking to run in the June primary. But even if it were an election season, we would want to talk to John Tudor. The issue of fire damage assessments is still out there. Changes are coming in the way we vote this year. And of course, John's recent run-in with the usually useless, toothless, and pointless grand jury needs some clarification. So it is my pleasure to welcome John Tudor back here to Napa Broadcasting. John, thanks so much for joining us. Well, I'll try and live up to that introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, there is a lot to talk about, and, and it is amazing that there is certainly all this talk about uh, the upcoming elections, and, and June seems far away, November seems further away, but really they're, they're right up there. We're, you know, last week was you know, the closing deadline for people filing for the June primary, so it's certainly something that, that we're dealing with even in California. Oh, very much so. And we, of course, are ramping up. We're already sending materials to our printer uh, to put in the voter information guides that will be coming out the first week in May. Uh, We're publishing those, of course, in English and Spanish. We've got uh, arguments. We've got the materials for all the two measures, the heliport measure and the watershed measure, and, of course, the regional measure three on toll increases. So it's going to be a pretty thick book that's going to come out, and it's going to come out separately from the ballots because it's too big to fit with the ballots. So I want to remind people that they'll be getting two love letters from me the first week in May. The first will be their voter information guide, which is a large pamphlet, and the other will be their official voter envelope with their ballot in it. That's going to look different this year. It's going to have a blue stripe on one side, and it's going to be clearly marked official ballot. And, Jeff, as you know, as part of our transition to the Voters Choice Act, we're going from 90% vote by mail to 100% vote by mail. So we do have about 10,000 voters who haven't received a vote by mail ballot before, and they'll be getting a special notice from me about two weeks before the ballot arrives just to give them a heads up. Probably I'll have a picture of what the ballot envelope is going to look like so it doesn't go right in the recycling. Is there any reason to think that the time it's going to take to count ballots this year to to deal with all of the things related to getting results, is it going to be any different in light of it being 100% vote by mail? Well, it's actually not so much that it's the vote by mail that's going to be different. We're still going to get better than 50% of the count out at one minute after eight on election night. We're always first in the state um, for reporting those major first results, and we expect to keep that tradition up this year. The one difference is going to be since there are not going to be any polling places this year, we are going to have vote centers, and I can talk about that in a minute. We're not going to get that flow of the few polling place ballots that we always counted on election night after 8 o'clock. We're not going to do that from now forward, but we are going to ramp up when we do our next counts. So I'm hoping we'll have the big count at 8.01 p.m. on election night. I'm hoping to have another count by Wednesday, another count by Thursday, another count by Friday, And then not necessarily every day after that, but we should have a big chunk of the ballots in by Friday rather than just that smaller chunk that we got in 
on election night, and then it was three or four days later or a week later before we gave more. So I think the flow of material is going to be much smoother, and the ballot counts are going to be updated more close, more regularly as we go forward. However, there will only be one count that comes out on election night. Is that correct? That's correct. At 8.01 p.m., it'll be, we hope, 50-plus percent of the, what's going to eventually be cast, but that's going to be the one count on, uh, on election night. And it could be more if people vote if more people vote early. That's correct. Yes, uh, you know we'll see what happens. Before we had ten thousand voters in November of sixteen who didn't have ballots to cast early, they had to wait until election day to go to their polling place. Now they will be able to vote earlier. We're going to have these vote centers, Jeff, and I'm actually announcing it for the first time on your show. We're going to have a 10-day vote center at the Holiday Inn Express in American Canyon. Mm-hmm. That's going to open the Saturday before Memorial Day and be open on Memorial Day, by the way, uh, which is the 28th. And so we're going to have voters there. Their ballots will be flowing in from those 10-day centers. The second 10-day center is going to be at the Upper Valley College in St. Helena, and that will also be open that Saturday and all that week. And then, of course, both of those centers will be open like our other six centers that we're opening on the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Election Day. So there's going to be lots of opportunities. We're calling this more ways, more days. And so we think that that's going to help increase turnout and maybe even some of the early turnout. All those vote center ballots that come in up until, again, just as in the past, until noon on Saturday before the election. So that's going to be noon on the 2nd of June. We'll go into that 801 count on election night. Mm -hmm. And when are ballots getting mailed out? Well, they can't go out earlier than the 7th of May, uh, but we hope to hit the post office right around the 7th of May. So people should expect their ballots no later than the 14th. And if they don't have a ballot by then, they should begin checking in with us to see where their ballot is. They may be not registered. There could be other issues. Now, I know your colleagues in Solano County are doing this thing, and I'm sure that I don't have it exactly right. But basically, it allows you through texting to track your ballot where it is at any given time. Talk about that. All right. Well, we're not using the texting material, but if you have internet access on your phone, you can come onto our website. That site will open up 60 days before the election, so around the first uh, week in April, around the 9th. <clears throat> and you can put your last name and your birth date in. It'll tell you what's the nearest vote center, and then as the ballots start flowing back, it'll tell you if we've received yours, whether it was counted, whether there was a problem with it. And that goes up right through and including election night. Mm -hmm. So people will be able to know essentially where their ballot is, when it's been counted, etc. They'll know when it went out and when it's been counted. That's correct. Or if it's not been counted because there was an issue, they'll they'll be able to find out about it. One other big change coming up. Two more, actually. The first one is that um, we are going to uh, have drop boxes available uh, throughout the county where people can drop off their ballot. These are going to be our drop boxes. They're not postal drop boxes. And so we're urging people, if, as soon as they have their ballots voted, they've sat around the kitchen table and talked to their kids, 
and family members and decided how to vote, that they either put him in the mail uh, or that they uh, drop him off at one of our drop boxes. They'll be open for 28 days before the election. They'll be available. Uh, they're very secure. They're going to be outside, so they're going to be 24-7. Uh, one in American Canyon so far at City Hall, two in Napa, one at our office in the alley where we do drive-through voting on the Monday and Tuesday by the election, one on Soskill by Roundtable Pizza on the uh, west side of Soskill, south of Lincoln, Yountville by the community center, St. Helena by the library, Calistoga by the market there, Calmart, and in Angwin by the college market. So those are going to be open on May 7th and will remain open 24-7 up to and including 8 p.m. on polling day, on election day, at which time we'll close them off. People certainly are going to have a lot of places, a lot of opportunities to drop off their ballot. Exactly, and that's part of the whole reason for the Voters' Choice Act is to increase turnout. And the final piece of this puzzle, and then let's move on to fire, is that you're going to be able to register to vote up to and including uh, Election Day. Before, you had to be registered by 15 days before the election. Now, with our new statewide voter registration system called VoteCal, you're going to be able to come into the... Now, you have to register in person. You can't register by mail after the 15th day or online. But you can come into our office. We're going to have online... Into our vote, our office and the vote centers as soon as they open. So there are going to be eight or nine places for people to figure out how to register to vote. Come in, register. We'll issue you your ballot. You can take it home and think about it. You can cast it right there. So that's going to be an interesting new uh, wrinkle to this. And... Here's the big thing, and I really want you to publicize this. And, of course, as you know, I help you by putting your material out on my social media. Uh, we're looking for vote center workers uh, to staff those vote centers. Polling places were only open for one day. Now we have a total of 20 days plus 24 days, so we've got like 40-some days to staff. So we're looking for 50 to 60 Vote center workers, they're going to receive an hourly wage between 15 and $19. They're going to work essentially pretty much full-time for the three weeks. Now we'll need them starting May 14th, and they can go on to the county website, www.countyofnapa.org, and no spaces in County of Napa, and put jobs in the search box, Take them right to the Vote Center Worker application, and we're looking forward to getting lots of Vote Center Worker applications so that we can pick the best crew to staff those centers for us. Talk a little bit about any concerns with respect to this immediate same-day, essentially, registration, and how sure are we that that system will function properly? Well, here's what happens. So any person who uh, uses what's called conditional voter registration will get a ballot, same ballot as everyone else, but they're going to get a separate envelope. Uh, it's going to be called a CVR envelope, conditional voter registration. Those envelopes will be held until after Election Day, and by that time we're going to wait until all 58 counties post their history, not their results necessarily, but who's voted. They won't have maybe tallied the ballot yet. And then we're going to check those ballots against the statewide system. If somebody has, you know, forgot that they voted in Contra Costa County before they moved to Napa, 
we'll catch that. We won't count the Napa ballot, especially if they, Contra Costa still has polling places, especially if they voted at a polling place in Contra Costa. Uh, or if they moved from Napa to Contra Costa and voted here by mail and then forgot that they've done that. So those are the major safeguards because we can now see every registered voter throughout the state of California and make sure that either, I'm almost sure it's inadvertent and mistaken, but even if it were by design, and by the way, any people who do that, whether it's inadvertent or not, will be referred to the uh, Secretary of State's investigation unit, fraud unit, for investigation. So uh, we hope we don't see many of those, uh, but we have all those safeguards in place. Mm -hmm. So it'll really just be your office that can see this and the Russians. That's pretty much it. No, not in. (laughs) That was a great one. You know, I've talked to people, and I think you and I have talked about this. The Russians interfered with the campaign. There's no question about that. They can't interfere with the election itself, the ballot tabulation or any of that, because, and I've explained this several times to groups I talk to, there are 7,000 election officials like me, hopefully not just like me, that would be terrible, but... 7,000 of us, we all have separate systems. They are all plugged into just the wall, just the power in the wall. They're not connected to the Internet. They're not connected wirelessly. They're not connected to anything. So in order to tamper with those servers, people would actually have to break into our office through an alarm door and lock uh, and get into the machine, and you'd think we'd notice that. So... Election tampering is campaign tampering. There's no way, in my view, for anyone to get in and tamper with the actual tabulation of the ballots because that's 7,000 distributed systems with absolutely no Internet. Right. The real concern, I mean, on a serious note, I mean, the real concern <clears throat> with respect even to the Russians has been reg- registration rolls and the various statewide registration rolls around the country and concerns of the security of those. So uh, Secretary of State Alex Padilla has made it very clear that our vote cal system is, you know, 18 walls thick, secure. Um, nobody that when you register to vote online, there are several steps before you get into the registration system. So even if somehow you could get to the voter registration online and create fake people or something, they wouldn't get in because each county has to put those people into their system. You're not automatically registered from that. We review whether it's a real address. We review all those kinds of things. So I don't see, and I'm not, I do know that attempts were made in two other states to mm-hmm. get into the voter registration system, but you'd think that we would all notice if suddenly a million new Californians showed up overnight. So I don't see that as a problem. A, I don't think they can get into the actual place where the registered voters are kept, and even if they could, there are safeguards to prevent anything, you know, influencing the election. Because, yeah, you know, being registered doesn't give you a ballot. We still have to mail them a ballot. So there's a whole bunch of things that would come into play before that happened. It's interesting how far backwards we've gone in some respects. I mean, I remember it wasn't that many years ago that we talked seriously about voting online someday, etc. Now that seems so much further away. Well, I think it, it is. I'm not sure. It's, it's always been pretty far away because one of the big issues is how do you, um, 
know that the person who says they're casting that ballot is that person unless you've got retinal scans or face recognition or something like that that's in our system and in the system that allows them to vote. But at some time, I think it is going to be further away. In fact, as you and I know, and we've talked about, we're going back to paper. So uh, that's very strange (laughs) that we're going more paper than we were before. And I appreciate that. I like that because even though we had 24,000 people vote on electronic machines back in 06, I think our, uh, our voters, even though they liked it and there were no complaints about it, I think people feel more secure knowing that when they use our new system, they can actually mark their ballot on a screen, but it doesn't capture what they marked except to print out a ballot. And then they can look at that ballot, and that's the ballot we actually count. Nothing in the machine. It goes right onto paper and comes to us. Well, we'll see where all this goes in the next few years, and hopefully it'll all go smoothly this time around. I'm sure it will. We'll do our best. Also, I wanted to just mention that we have uh, some workshops coming up on this new Voter Choice Act. Uh, The Yountville Community Center at 6 o'clock on March 21st, which is a Thursday, I believe. And then on March 27th at the uh, Calistoga Community Center at 5.30 p.m. That's on a Tuesday. And then on March 29th, that next Thursday, at the St. Helena Library at 5.30, and finally in Angwin at the Firehouse on Thursday, April 5th. So there's plenty of time for your listeners who want to come in person, see one of these new voting machines, try it out, see how it works. Uh, We're getting great feedback. We've held two workshops already, and we've had a total of 20 or some people attend. The feedback's been very positive. Well, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about this a little bit more between now and uh, the June primary, but this is this is a good primer on that, so to speak. Great. Good. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about fire assessment. And, and, you know, that's not something everybody's interested in, but certainly those people that were affected and impacted by the fire still have some real concerns about how they can be protected. Well, I, there's not only that, but almost everybody in Napa County knows somebody who lost right. property to the fire. So we're all interested. So here's the main thing. So the fire took about three quarters of a billion dollars off our assessment roll by destroyed properties. That is not, I mean, that's a lot of money, but on our $37 billion assessment roll, that's 2%. However, it is going to have an impact on county finances. The state's going to hold us harmless for the first year, I believe, for property taxes and actually backfill that. But I don't know about future years, and that's the auditor, controller, and the CEO's uh, terrain, not mine. But here are what people who had their homes destroyed have. They have three choices. The first choice is to go back and rebuild their home. And as long as they stay within essentially the same footprint in terms of size, it doesn't have to be in the same location, doesn't have to look just like the old house. If you had a two-story and you want a one-story, and you had a two-story 1,800 square foot, you can build a one-story 1,800 square foot. As long as you stay within that footprint of size, you're going to get your base year value back. Unless you really fancy the house up, then we would add something for that. 
Now, there's a little confusion out there. The, the building department is correctly telling people that they can build up to 125% of their square footage. So if you had a 1,000-square-foot home, you can build up to 1,250 without having to change your water or septic systems or your driveway. So that's an important consideration for people who are on somewhat non-conforming parcels. However, the assessor's office doesn't live with the 125%. If you add 250 square feet, you'll get your base year value back on the 1,000 square feet. And then just as if you'd done a new addition, we're going to pick up that 250 additional square feet as new construction. Still a good deal for people who've been on their properties 20, 30 years, but that they do need to be aware of that. Why do, have, why do that? Yeah, why, not, why not be consistent with, with the other way of doing it? Well, unfortunately, state law and the Constitution govern the assessor division. The building department, with the concurrence, and I'm very supportive of the board doing this, did give people the opportunity to do the 125%, but that's not related to the uh, property tax assessment rules at all. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there and any, then this, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, is there any kind of time frame, any kind of time limitation in order for people to do this work? Jeff, it's scary. I was just going to tell you <laughs> that they've got five years oh, okay. to, re, to rebuild their home. Um, and so there's no huge rush. I know the insurance companies have some rules about how long you can take to begin rebuilding. But as far as we're concerned, you can take your time and think about it. You know, a lot of people, even six months after the fires, are still in some kind of shock. It's a huge event. Our neighbors up at the ranch lost five of their ten units, and they're still trying to figure out what's going on. It's very traumatic. Now, one of the things, and this is not scientific, but my understanding is that the average age of people burned out in Napa County was in their 70s, like I am. And so there are a lot of people who aren't going to go through rebuilding. And they have two options to continue to receive their old Proposition 13 base year value. If they stay in Napa County, they can buy a replacement house again within five years and move their base year value from the burned-down house and land to the new house they either build or buy. Now, the only limit on that is, and here it gets a little confusing, but this is 120%. So you lost the house up on Atlas Peak, and your base year value was $400,000 because you'd owned it forever. We're going to look at 120% of what that house was worth on the day before it burned down not what it, what its assessed value was. So let's say on the day before it burned down, it was worth a million dollars. You can then come to in, anywhere in Napa County, and it doesn't have to be a residence. It could be a winery or a, another building, mm-hmm. and build or buy, it, let's just say, a residence up to $1.2 million and bring your 400000 with you, so that which would save you $8,000 a year in property tax. So we have a number of people who are taking that option, and they, again, have five years in which to do that. Uh, However, if they move, and one thing I say this at every group I talk to, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I wasn't aware 
until this catastrophe, because in the earthquake, people weren't moving around. They just fixed their homes up. I wasn't aware that you keep your base year value on the old property that burned down or on the original property that burned down, even though it's just a vacant lot. So you can move your base year value to this other property, keep the other one sometime in the future if your children or somebody you know wants to build on it, they get and it's your child, they will get your base year value on that land. And then when they build a new house, they'll pay new construction values, but at least they'll keep the base year value on the land if it goes from parent to child. So even even after five years? Oh even after yeah, the base year value stays on that land forever until it sells to someone who wasn't the original owner who got burned out. Mm. The final one, just really briefly, the final one is you can move to 10 counties that will accept a base year value. Uh, Those 10 counties, and I'll run them off quickly if I can find it right here, uh, will accept a base year value from Napa County, but they only will do that for three years, not for five years, and they only can, uh, there's no 120%. So Sonoma, Solano, Ventura, Sutter, Modoc County, if you want to move up to Alturas, Contra Costa, San Francisco, those are all part of the 10 counties. Uh, You have three years to make that. It has to be your principal residence. It doesn't apply to wineries or second homes or anything like that. And in the first year, you get 105%. In the second year, you get 110%. And in the third year, you get 115%. But you have to do that within three years of October 9th, 2017, which would be October 8th, 2020. And that's something. And again, uh, people can call me. Let me give you the number, 707-253-4459. Or email me at john, J-O-H-N, dot T-U-T-E-U-R, at countyofnapa.org, john.tutor at countyofnapa.org, and I can go over their choices with them and give them some specifics. Now, to come up with that 120% or the 105% or whichever one of those numbers, we're suggesting that people go to realtors who don't charge for doing a listing analysis get a listing analysis from them as to what your property was worth on October 8, 2017. And we'll take a look at that. And in most cases, since uh, I have a great deal of confidence and faith in our real estate community, we'll probably accept the comparable sales that they use, say, for the year before the fire to come up with what they think the property is worth the day before it burned down. So there's a lot to think about for people that... Uh have property that's burnt out. A lot of options, a lot of things to uh, to be concerned about. Right, and we also have pretty good records. We don't have plans and things, but we have photographs and floor plans and a lot of information about the house that burned down. And if people are rebuilding, and there were no houses burned in any of the cities, uh, Jeff, they were all in the unincorporated area. Right. The planning department is asking people to bring uh, our copies of our record about that house as part of their building permit application. So, And that's free through April. The Board of Supervisors, at my request, said we can provide uh, deeds and those kinds of documents and records from our assessor division at no cost to fire victims through April 25th, I think it is. 
All right. So people need to hurry. That's quick. That's really approaching quickly. That is. The cost is not that much. It's $2 a page for the deeds and $3 for five pages of our records. So it's not like it's going to set them back very far. Right. But it's a nice gesture. It's a nice thing it was. to do. All right. Well, finally today, John, while I've got you here, I, I couldn't let you go without talking a little bit about uh, what's gone on with you and the grand jury and this whole issue of, of property taxes on uh, on income that was or wasn't properly capitalized for, uh, up at the ranch. Talk a little bit about how you even became aware of this, first of all. All right. Well, so on Thursday afternoon, I was at my desk, and I got a call from Barry Everling of the Napa Register saying, uh, John, would you like to comment on the grand jury uh, order that they're filing with the court? And I said, well, I'm not aware of any grand jury order. And he said, well, the foreperson of the grand jury, a gentleman named Charles Delario, called me, Barry Everling, to tell me he was filing an order with the court concerning you, you, John Tudor's property. And I said, well, if you'll send me the order, I'll be happy to take a look at it and give you a comment. How surprised, so Barry, how surprised were you, first of all? Well, I can say that there was a grand jury investigation going on. I can't comment on that beyond saying that there was a grand jury investigation. So I had no idea there was any action coming out of that investigation, but I was aware there was an investigation going on. So Barry sent me a, a sort of a strange version of the order. It wasn't signed, and it had a strange date on it. And I read it, and I gave Barry his comments, and he published those. Following that, the order was to the district attorney of Napa County to uh, file suit for recovery of allegedly underpaid taxes from my family, myself and my sister, who are co-trustees of the Tudor Family Trust, which has owned the ranch since 79, and my parents actually bought it in 51. And so uh, the district attorney uh, decided that it would be better for the attorney general of the state of California to handle this investigation because of its local nature and because of my position both as county assessor and a longtime community uh, member. So I have written the uh, Attorney General, Javier Becerra, um, offering to cooperate in any way we can, explaining that California law and our procedures in the assessor division do not allow me to assess my own property, nor does it allow any member of our staff to have anything to do with the valuation of their own property, and therefore any mistake that we knew nothing about uh, will be, if it is a needs correction, that that correction will be made and we'll do whatever is required at that point. I did suggest in my letter to the Attorney General of the State of California that he uh, ask the State Board of Equalization to review this matter because they already review the assessment of all 58 county elected assessors, not every day, but as a part of their surveys of assessors' offices, one of the things they do is they come in and look not only at the county assessor's property, but any individual within the, the office that owns property and has a change to it. So as an example, the last time they surveyed the Napa County Assessor Division, 
was in 2011. And as a part of that, my, our daughter and our son-in-law had built a patio on the house on the ranch that they own. And a member of the survey team, an appraiser from Sacramento, actually came up to the ranch, took pictures of what was there to make sure that what our office had done, which I had no hand in, anything that affects my property is done by the regular certified competent appraisal staff, then reviewed by the chief appraiser, and then I find out about it just like any other property owner when I get a notice in the mail. And so that was checked. I don't know, I, I wasn't told, and I'm not sure whether they checked those calculations at the same time in 2011, but those calculations are alleged to have been incorrect for a number of years. So that was my recommendation to the attorney general. Of course, the attorney general just received that letter, I think, yesterday, so I've heard nothing further, and that's as far as I know where it all sits. And explain to folks what it is that the issue here is with respect to this cell tower and it's, it's the assessment of the rental income between 2008 and 2015 specifically. All right. So our ranch has been under the Williamson Act since the early 70s. I think we signed the contract in 70 or 71. We were one of the first properties to come into the Williamson Act. Williamson Act allows property to be assessed at the lower of its base year value under Proposition 13 or its value calculating its agricultural income. Now, with a ranch like ours, most of our uh, use is grazing. And there are minimum imputed incomes for grazing, so those don't have to be calculated. But in our case, since 1966, we've had one and more repeater sites on the ranch. The first one was built by the city of Napa, who still owns it 52 years later. The second was built by a private entity. Uh, at the time, it was Motorola. And then the third one was built by a a big energy transmission joint powers agency called the Transmission Agency of Northern California, and they built that one in 1992. So the income, so they pay us rent to have their facilities on the ranch. We have a mountaintop that looks out over both the Napa Valley, Vallejo, uh, Fairfield, so it's a great site for these locations. So they pay us a rent. So to arrive at the value of the ranch, they have to calculate the value of that repeater site based on the rent. And so we've reported the rent ever since we've had, you know, for 52 years for the various sites. And then that rent is calculated using a formula to come up with a value. And what the grand jury is alleging is that somehow on that one site, somehow the value got, became corrupted in some way or incorrect and that therefore, because of that uh, mistake, which is what the grand jury called it in the order, because of that mistake, the value was not correct, was lower than it should have been. So that's what that's all about, because we are at our Williamson Act value. We're not at our Proposition 13 base year value. How did that mistake happen, to the best of your knowledge? Uh, well, I haven't reviewed it, of course, because I don't. Uh, so from... The same calculation was made from 1992 to today. The agency actually terminated its lease 
in December of 2016 when they moved to a fiber optic system. So I don't, I mean, I get those analyses. I don't look at them because I assume they're correct, just like any other property owner, I hope, assumes what we do is correct. And then I translate that into what the taxes will be because the tenant pays the taxes. We don't pay the taxes. The tenant pays the taxes, as is often the case uh, in any leasing situation. So I would use that analysis, come up with the value, tell the tenant what percentage of the tax bill they should pay, and they would pay those. So I have no idea. No one has pointed out to me, and the Board of Equalization, should the Attorney General bring them in, will probably, uh, as part of their analysis, show whatever the mistake is alleged to be, if there is one. Now, did the tenant pay the rent for these years that are uh, in question here? Yes. Mm -hmm. On all of the sites. Well, the city of Napa doesn't pay on their site because I didn't... My dad, when he negotiated in the lease in 66, was not a, it was a new thing. And we put that site up there or allowed it to go up there because we wanted to help the community. It wasn't a money raiser for us. So the city doesn't pay their taxes. We pay their taxes. But the transmission agency pays its taxes and the successor to Motorola pays their taxes. Mm-hmm. So if, in fact, this mistake happened and and it clearly some kind of mistake did did transpire in all of this who would have been responsible for that mistake happening well it would have been the member of the staff here who does the calculation each year and is that somebody that is that's identifiable that has been on the staff for a, a protracted period of time but well i never know each year who does it there's one person who usually does it i don't know if you know that person was ill that year or wasn't here but uh, there is one person who usually does those calculations. Now, as I understand it, just to sort of finish up on this, that the mistake was discovered for 2016, and that was corrected. What happened with respect to those past years, 2000, 2008 through 2015, and and why didn't that come to light at the same time? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about what the mistake was prior to 16. I do know that in 16, according to the grand jury order, the, the mistake was fixed in 16. Um, because the tenant paid the taxes, I don't pay a lot of close attention to what the value was. So if there was a change in the value, I didn't pay much attention to that because mm-hmm. I was passing that on to the tenant. I have not yet gone back and looked. I should have copies of all of those calculations, which I received from the office, as any taxpayer can request or property owner can request. I haven't gone back to review them. I never reviewed them to see if they were correct or not. You know, interestingly enough, since you ask, one of our sites, the, what was the Motorola sites, actually in Solano County. Mm-hmm. The county line runs between the two towers up on that mountain because for most of Napa County, the county line follows the ridge line between the two watersheds. So in Solano County, I did discover that they were badly under-assessing our property by their formula being incorrect just because I knew how our formula worked, not whether it was right or not. They weren't using enough years out in the future to come up with a value so I pointed that out to Solano County a number of years ago, and they then corrected their uh, value, which uh, 
because it was a that parcels we've owned of course since fifty one the base year value actually then turned out to be lower than the uh, restricted value, which is not the case in Napa County. So our value didn't change when they made that correction because the restricted value suddenly was not being used. What is your anticipation of the next step in all of this? Well, my hope now speaking as trustee of the Family Trust is that I will hear back from the Attorney General's office or from the State Board of Equalization saying, the suggestion in your letter has been taken up. The Board of Equalization will be reviewing this entire matter and will make a report back to the Attorney General, which in turn will then be uh, given to uh, the Assessor's Office to do whatever it says to me as the property owner and hopefully to the grand jury. You had said at the outset that you knew that there was this grand jury investigation going on, although you hadn't known about any kind of action until Barry called you. How did the grand jury become aware of this in the first place? Well, that's public. They said they have an anonymous complaint, uh, and that's all I can say. I don't know who the anonymous complainant is, but that came out in um, in the publicity about this, that there was an anonymous complaint that started this whole investigation. Mm-hmm. And And you don't have any idea who that was or might be? I don't. The only thing I know from other counties is that uh, has nothing that may not apply in Napa County because I and besides since there's an ongoing investigation I can't comment on it anyway. But the great majority of these cases in other counties are from someone within the office who is unhappy about something. Right. And what is the impact of this, if any? with respect to the office and those those other assessors in the office and those that, that might have uh, been involved in making this mistake? Well, mistakes get made. It's unfortunate it happened if there is a mistake on my own property, but they do get made, and that's part of a learning curve. It's not something that people in this office, at least since I've been doing this for 32 years, that turns into... Uh, a, a tragedy for anyone. It's usually we make sure it doesn't happen again if we do more training or whatever's necessary. Innocent mistakes can happen and they get fixed and we put procedures in place to make sure they don't happen again. So, no, I, don't, I mean, I'm sure there's some tension within the office over what's going on, but that uh, just goes on in all offices. None of us right. are all a completely happy family. Right. And and finally, let me ask you, has this kind of mistake happened on other properties, not having anything to do with you, but just things that have happened with respect to the county and things that the office has discovered in the past? Oh, yeah, sure. Shortly after I became assessor in 1987, we discovered the next year that in key entering, we used to key enter differently than we do now, in key entering a value Instead of putting 100000 on a piece of property, we put a million on the piece of property. That stayed out there for three years. The property owner, so that raised their taxes by $10,000. Property owner never said anything. Finally, it came up. We discovered it. Of course, we went right back and refunded the money that they'd overpaid. So, no, mistakes do happen. We hope not very many. I think our office has a deserved reputation, not because of me, but because of our very great staff and and the great work we do of being pretty accurate. But sure, mistakes do happen. Well, 
it's just tougher when it happens to the boss's property. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Napa County Clerk, Assessor, Registrar, Recorder, John Tudor. John, thanks so much for spending time with us and, and walking us through this whole host of issues today. Much appreciated. Anytime. Thanks. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.